Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. It is those who are willing to be rejected publicly by the people who they care the most who win the fastest in personal development. Because that's really what personal development, I feel like, souls, period. It is... That, per, that individual human who has been trapped by the experiences and people in their life and cannot break free. And so now there we're personally developing so that we can develop past that, but you can only develop so much. You have to develop into something and they won't. The people that do, they allow themselves not being vulnerable. Don't take this as a statement of being vulnerable as much as it is about you being able to be rejected by the people that you care the most, where you stop managing other people's insecurity and you allow yourself to be whole. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Tiffany, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thank you. Thank you. It is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about you by way of your publicist who wrote in and told me about your story and trajectory of your career. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, what was the very first job that you ever had? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made for the rest of your life and career? You know, um, I kind of had two jobs at once. So in junior high, no, in high school, I had this bright idea when I was I think 16, but I was definitely going into junior year and I was two weeks into school. And long story short is I had this experience with a substitute teacher. I know this is going to be so random. Stay with me here because this is exactly how I get this job. So there's a substitute teacher and uh, she says to me, I don't know what provokes her, but she says to me something like, you know, Tiffany, you know what you're like? You're like a cockroach and I just want to step on you. And I get so mad when she says this to me. It's like 10 in the morning and I pick my things up. I walk to the front, uh, the front office and I withdraw myself from school. It was like my last drop. And all up until that moment, I had said a gazillion times like, oh, high school is such a waste of time. 
And not only did I feel like like high school was such a waste of time, but I was like, high school is a waste of time. I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to go and work. So I leave high school and I go and get two jobs at once. A friend of mine in another high school tells me that John Juice, who is first time coming to the East Coast, is doing interviews in the center of some mall. And I kind of show up. And then I went through the classified section of the newspaper and I saw that these people were saying I can make $2,000 a month by um, by getting involved in, um, I think it was almost like cosmetic sales. Lo and behold, my very first job same time, I got two jobs at the same time. One, I was working part-time in Jamba Juice. And then I was working kind of part-time-ish with a company called Centura Creations. But the truth of the matter is that we literally jumped out of cars and sold knockoff perfume um, out of like a duffel bag. <laughs> Those are my very first two jobs. Wow. Um, Yes, I know. Take a moment, right? Like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, that automatically raises numerous questions. So, you know, there are a lot of people who in that moment when a substitute teacher tells you something like that might just, you know, hang their heads in shame and uh, not do anything about it. So what is it about you that you think caused you to respond the way that you did? You know, one of the greatest fuel, one of the greatest acts Assets, resources that anyone can acquire is anger. You know, anger is one of those things that it create. It put. It's almost like throwing the coal into the furnace that revs it up, like that scene in a movie where they open the thing, they throw in more coal, and then the the furnace goes, and then the engine goes really, really fast through the water, whatever it might be. Anger is like that, and if you can use to hold on to it and to leverage it, then it'll force you to push yourself to the next level. For me, I was just angry and my response was, I'm going to prove you wrong. The idea and the notion of proving the person wrong um, or proving the situation wrong or proving the experience wrong is kind of, for me, has always been the magic of what's allowed me to move faster or to do something that's just, um, that's just, I, I think that's the, that's the right answer. Yeah. So that's it. I wanted to prove her wrong. I, I, I wanted to prove her wrong, period. And so. You know, it's funny because I think that that desire to prove somebody wrong can kind of be a double-edged sword, right? And sometimes it can almost be the sole thing that drives you. And I feel like sometimes that can get in the way. So how do you how do you eventually get the thing that you want by using that fuel, but also not let it define what you end up doing and being? Because I've seen you know people's entire careers are defined by trying to prove somebody wrong as well. Yes, for sure. And I think that sometimes... You know, there's a big difference with taking a leap and attempting to do something and then making it a lifelong mission to prove someone wrong, right? So there are some people who take on careers and they're 20, 25, 30 years inside of a space that makes them unhappy. And that's a no. You can't do that. You absolutely, like, that's a, that's a losing strategy or going on a business mentally strategy. For me, I think that the perspective I've always owned is that I'm competing against myself. So instead of competing, trying to make a way to compete against other people or the person or, or item or situation that has fueled me, I really and truly am focused on competing with myself. And because I'm competing with myself, that it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a short win test that allows me to have clarity on what are you made of and deciphering whether I'm doing something to prove something someone else wrong because I'm competing with them 
versus competing with myself. That's the barometer. So I read on you about Paige that you also, you actually sold candy out of a backpack daily in the fifth grade. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah. So you know what? I really should have said that that was my first job. So I'm in the fifth grade and I don't know how I get my hands on a couple of pieces of candy. And there's this girl, I won't, won't say her name, but she buys, she's like, hey, I'll give you a quarter, two quarters for the candy. And I was like, you want to give me money for this candy in my, my, in my bag? And then someone else says, oh, can I have that last? I think it was an ear. And in my mind, I was like, wait a second. Hmm, I made a dollar fifty. So I run home. I, um, I, I mastermind in my head that I'm going to sell more candy. So I get my dad to take me to what's called Winn-Dixie back then. They have these blow pops and I can't remember the brand, but this is a special kind of flavor of blow pops. And it costs me like $2.25 for the bag. And if I sell the whole thing, I'm going to make $7. Next day, I go sell this thing out $7. And I, in my mind, you know, like I'm on my way to riches. It's, it's the most ridiculous feeling ever. But then, but then once I did this like two, three more times, I was like, oh, I'm on this. Now, there are really strict rules in my school. You sell candy. Like, this is not allowed. And I'm hustling. Like, I am, I'm like sliding candy under the desk. Like, this is a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very safe. But I get this bright idea. Check this. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to head into BJ's, which is the equivalent of Costco in the Southeast. And I'm like, man, I, Walk in and I learned that you can buy 72 airheads for like $5.99. The game is completely over because I'm like, oh my gosh, in my mind, I'm going to be a trillionaire. Just give, give me a couple of weights and I'm going to be a trillionaire. So I buy a massive bag of blow pops. I buy a massive bag of airheads and I go to town. I keep selling candy. Now I'm selling candy. I'm making like $100 to $300 a month. And my parents, I'm, I'm loaning people money, uh, back at home, you know, like I'm, I'm my own mini bank because I have so much money. I'm so excited. But one day I got that infamous, uh, dark moment and, uh, I got called to the principal's office. I, I, I was so just like, I was so angry. I'll never forget that feeling of Tiffany Largy. Can you please go to the principal's office? And I was like, what? And it was someone who came into the room and it was all dramatic. No, mind you, I didn't know that I had gotten caught. I'm hoping this wasn't the thing, but I, I knew that it was close because I'm racking in like a couple hundred dollars. Everybody in my class has like six, seven blow pops on their desk. The people in the class next door, like it's a whole thing. So I get to the principal's office. It, it's, it's dramatic. Tiffany, you can't do this. And then the period, here's where the, where the lesson came in. And I think that this is real. This is actually what shapes me. My mom is called. My mom shows up to the school and they're like, Miss Larry, Tiffany is selling candy. That it's against school rules. And my mom's like, Oh my gosh, that is horrible. And they're like, she is selling to all the kids. And all the kids are hyper and all these things. And my mom's like, Oh, this is horrible. And they're like, Miss Larry. And then my mom's like, you know what? I will deal with this at home. I will take care of this. I can't believe you, Tiffany, it's a whole thing. And then my mom's like, okay, so where's Tiffany's backpack? And then the woman gives her back, gives my mom the backpack. And my mom's like, is all the candy inside? And my disability's like, yes. And my mom's like, where's the money? This is the lady's like, what? My mom's like, where is her money? 
We get in the car. My mom hands me back my backpack. And she's like, just don't get caught next time. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I have the exact same story. Uh, and for us, it was when Sam's Club opened. And unlike you, I lasted a month. And I got busted by the choir teacher. I had gotten to the point where I had expanded to three friends selling for me. And then some other kid took the whole thing over, brought a briefcase to school, and he made that last a whole year. I don't know how he did it, but um, what? I went home and my parents uh, my parents didn't know. I remember the first day I just brought home a bag full of cash. We just happened to be at Costco or, or Sam's Club. And I saw yeah, Cry, yeah. Cry Babies, which were you know as popular as Airheads at the time. Yeah. And I told my dad, I was like, just buy these for me. They're seven bucks. I'll come back with money tomorrow. And I was taking orders by lunchtime. I was like, we got to go back. I got orders for the next day. And my parents didn't know that it wasn't, you know, it was against the rules. Then they, when they yeah. found out that it was against the rules, they're like, you're not allowed to do this. I was like, great. And so I had the, <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you about the story. So, well, I'm glad that your mom's lesson was don't get caught. She won, you know, she was, it's not like she was encouraging me to it, but she said her mind, she was like, you know what? Like no harm, no foul. And I, and she didn't say much after that. My dad, when I got home, I think he was just sad that I got caught. Like, like I was an amateur, but he never said anything. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is that I, I really think it molded and shaped so much of my thinking, not necessarily about selling and getting caught, but it was me. Uh, taking care of myself. Yeah. I started selling candy because there were things that I wanted. We couldn't afford it. And I didn't really want a lot, but I wanted to be able to buy myself just little things, very little insignificant things. And being able to say, well, if, if we, if someone else can't do it, then I can try and do it for myself. And I think that that's one of the most important pieces because if not, I wouldn't have known that I was capable of supplying my own needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, speaking of parents, um, tell me about yours. What was the narrative uh, in your household about making your way in the world? Because I know that you know, uh, your parents were immigrants. Yeah, my parents are immigrants. And, um, you know, my parents are immigrants. At, and the, the majority of who I am today and what I am today is is 100% true to who they were. They were crazy hardworking people and they loved me. I can't really say much about my sisters and brothers or anything else about my house or life, but my parents fought for fought for me all the entire time. And my dad drove a cab my entire life. He drove a cab. Or he drove it first up in uh, Connecticut, and then he drove it uh, in Florida my entire life. And he was such a hard worker. He worked seven days a week. And I can still remember him coming home Christmas morning because he worked the night shift and he came home Christmas morning. And, you know, people would rag on him for like, why are you working Christmas morning and things like that? But he was like, there are bills to pay and I'm going to pay them. And my way of leaving this house and going out and hustling um, is how I'm going to pay these bills. My mom was in, she always worked for some type of a large company, whether it was in timeshares or travel, hospitality, that was kind of her space. And she was often on the phones and she, I got to listen to her early on, talk to person after person after person after person being in sales. And even though she didn't, you, you know, I don't think that back then she had an idea of, you know, getting to $200,000 a year. I definitely know for sure that she was a woman who said, I'm going to control my own narrative. And the way I can do that is through sales. And I think so many people just, you know, underestimate what any type of a sales job can do for you because it gave her confidence. It gave her a place in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's it. That, that's, that's the foundation of it. Yeah. I, I remember I had a, a CEO uh, at a startup who didn't offer me a job. And it was when I was working at sales at another company. He told me, he said, 
that'll be the best thing that you can do for your career. He said, you'll never regret the time you spent working in sales, even though I hated it with a passion. Yeah. Um, your dad being a cab driver and, you know, working this hard, what did you learn about navigating human relationships from your dad? Because I'm sure he probably came across thousands of people over his life. Oh my gosh. My dad came across so many people. He came across so many people and being in Miami, Florida. So I'm the only one of all of my family born in Miami, Florida. Half of my brothers and sisters are born outside of the U.S. and two of them are born in, in the U.S., but I'm the only one from Miami. Grew up, born, raised, and left there after 20. So my dad spent a good part of his years there. And if you can imagine South Beach, Miami Beach, he's picked up all types of people. And one of the things that he really predicated on or doubled down on, especially as I got older, was the importance of just being kind to people. You know, so many, there are so many celebrities that he's put in his, that were in the back of his cab and they were either uncontrollably rude to him. They belittled him. Um, they spoke to him in ways that not necessarily were derogatory. I can't really say those words, but they definitely were unkind. And I remember him. I remember sometimes he would come and tell me some of the stories of who was in his cab the day before, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I, you know, growing up, every so often my dad would actually put me in the front seat of the cab and I would do the night shift with him. And I would drive around from 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. until 7 the next morning or 6, whatever. And I would see all types of things. And um, and we did it for fun. He didn't take me because he had to or any of the above. It really was for fun. He wanted to expose me to the world, expose me to that. And it would be great because he'd buy me a slice of pizza at 11 o'clock at night. You know, like it was just cool. But there's this there's this truth about the willingness to be kindness to people, kind to people. And in our country, we my family's Jamaican. You know, it's very different than the economics that's here because in Jamaica, everybody, or in the Caribbean for that matter, I find this a lot now that I teach so many different cultures from around the world. When you're at a table playing dominoes, everybody is the same, is at the same level. Like it doesn't, it's no one, um, the social economics get left behind and whoever is the millionaire, whoever has a thousand dollars in their bank account, whoever lives in the shack, they're all the same. And so, I th- the greatest thing that my father gave me by allowing me to have a front row seat to watching him do that and, and fight for his family for years and fight for himself in the way he knew best was to level the playing field. Leveling the playing field and keeping everybody, not neutral, but feeling important, feeling valuable, feeling seen, uh, feeling Whatever that that word is you want to put in, I feel like it's the greatest gift that he ever gave me. Because his care for people, his care for animals, my father's care for the planet, it's like it's an underlying part of why I made a decision in business, especially running a company like one of my companies, Do the Damn Thing, which is one that I'm most known for. It's so predicated on just caring for people before the dollar happens, before the sale happens, before we do anything else. And, and that's it. He just cared for people and didn't judge them and just allowed. And in that time when they were with him, he did his best. And in return, he could only ask that they do, that they do their best. What did your parents teach you about race, particularly being somebody of color in America? 
Um, you know, I pause in that because my parents actually really didn't teach me a lot about race. Race in Jamaica is not uh, really a relevant, as relevant of a conversation as it is here. To be quite honest with you, growing up in Miami, I don't even think I, I, it's not that I didn't pay attention to race, but they, we did not have, they did not have conversations with us behind closed doors. Um, like I know, like my husband, his parents did, or, or people that I know who had those kind of conversations. And the reason why is because we're more focused on social economics versus race as a, as a, as a barometer. Now, I'll tell you though, in some regards, that's tough because they did not sit down and have those kind of conversations with me. What they did teach me to be and be clear on is that I'm always equal. I'm always invited to the playing field. I'm always going to have a seat at the table at all the tables. The world is a hundred percent there for me for the taking. Um, and, and I think because they didn't give me the limitation, I grew up not understanding that there was a roof over my head. And so even though in my twenties and thirties, I had to, I hit the roof, my head hit the roof. Truth of the matter is that me not knowing and me not having that clear limitation, I, I really do believe plays one of the biggest roles in how I build today. Now, I say that and I also say, you know, when my, when I was about 10 or 11, my brother, he used to work at Publix and it's maybe like a five minute bike ride because he used to ride his bike. So it's probably a five minute bike ride from my house to where maybe 10 minutes, but not more than from my house to where he worked in the public. And real talk, I remember my sister and I were at home, my older sister, she's about seven years older than me. So I must be 10 or, 10 or so, maybe nine. And she's 16 or something. And we get a phone call that my brother had been targeted. My brother's darker than I am. And he's much older. He's like 13, 14 years older than I am. And he was riding home and he got targeted and they threw beer bottles at his head and he fell off his bike and he got hit and he was, you know, bleeding and was being taken to the hospital. And I remember my sister and I getting this phone call and feeling afraid and we didn't know what to do. And my mom worked in a call center so you could call there, but you couldn't get to her clearly. Long story short, my sister scoops me up and we get on a bicycle and I'm like on the back of the bike and we ride over to the thing to go see the scene. The police are there and all that stuff. And we knew that it was race driven. I understood that. I remember my parents in that because they got no, you know, there were no cell phones back then. So the message got to them slower. And honestly, I just remember my parents for the first time being aware that what they were looking at was race driven. But I also remember them not spending too much time talking about the fact that race was the card on the table. And I really think that they did that because they didn't want to make that a factor. They just didn't. They didn't want to settle for that factor. And I also think that they didn't want to fill my head or anybody else's head with the idea that this was a race-driven thing and, and, and keep me there. Some would say that that's bad. And I've heard some people say that that's, you know, that's, uh, that's like one of those factors that held us back or held me back or, you know, made me without, but I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know. 
I know that that was my first and one of the few times that I became really aware of this, of this differential of what was happening in my house talking about race and what was happening outside of my house talking about race for sure. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think that, you know, as an Indian American, it was kind of the same thing around our household. We never really were aware of it. And I think we're really lucky because Indians are stereotyped as model minorities. We're all basically just, you know, future doctors and engineers are now CEOs of something like 50 companies. Um, but one thing that I, so, so talk to me about how you go from jumping out of a car selling knockoff perfume to doing the work that you do today. What was the trajectory to that? Eventually, I go back to school and um, I go back to I go back in senior year and I only go back in senior year because I realized that I thought I had enrolled myself in some type of like uh, some type of homeschool program. And I really didn't. I really didn't have a program underneath me, which means I wasn't going to get a degree. So I go back to. I go back to high school and in high school in fourth grade, all I know is that it's, this is not for me. And I'm very much so drowning in people and the things they find important and being bored. Uh, I take AP classes and honors classes in senior year, which is like a crazy thought. Um, I do fairly well. You know, I'm not a straight A student, but I don't have D's. And I get out of school and fast forward in between high school and 24, I have two children. So, you know, the truth of the matter is that my daughter just turned 20 three days ago. And even as I sit here and I think about the fact that I have a 20-year-old daughter, like that's insane mm. to me. It's crazy. Back then, I didn't want, I didn't know what I wanted to do. There are a lot of people who get to 18, 20, 25 and whatever age. And they're like, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to be this person. I, I want to be this person. I want to be a doctor. I want to own a salon. Uh, I, I want to, I want to be a mom. This is my goal. This is what I want in my life. I really honestly didn't know what I wanted. I knew that there were certain things that interested me. Like I remember writing an essay in senior year saying that I was going to, my goal was to buy a handful of buildings and to collect all of the homeless people and put them in there and take care of them. I remember another, I, another essay that I wrote that was centered around um, healing people who were sick. So how was I going to heal them? I didn't want to be a doctor. I don't know. I, I knew that I had interest in things, but I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I also knew that I just wasn't interested at being at the mercy of someone else. And that's what those two jobs taught me. I was so frustrated every time that I, you know, I got sick or something happened and I, I couldn't maneuver through it. I just always felt trapped. So at the age of maybe 21, 22, I have this job. I'm working for a Fortune 500 company, but I don't have a college degree. I don't have a license. I don't have a college education, nothing. I've taken a couple of classes at school, but I can't finish because I got this kit. And before I can blink, I got two kids. Jada and I are about 20 months apart, maybe 21. And I am working for a Fortune 500 company. And real talk, I get really sick. I pass out. I go to the hospital. I pass out at home. I go to the hospital and I'm there for a couple of days. And I call the um, 
I call like my manager and I were, am working for a Fortune 500 company, but I'm, I'm like a, not a secretary. I'm like an office admin kind of a person. That's my, that's my role. I make $10 and 22 cents an hour. And I've probably been working for this place for, I don't know, maybe five months. Call this lady and she, and she's really nice. I won't say her name, but she's really nice. And she's like, Hey, Tiffany, how you doing? And I'm like, Hey, I'm in the hospital. And it's day two of me being in the hospital. I'm in the hospital. I'm sick. They're saying that I have this, this, that, and the other. And uh, I won't be released for a couple of days. And she's like, oh, we were worried about you. I'm so glad you called. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, great. And she's like, oh, well, hold on. I got to transfer you to talk to such and such. She transfers me to talk to such and such. It's the woman in HR. And I recognize her because she's the woman who actually, um, she's the woman who does the interview with me, you know? So I know she's part of HR. And she goes, hi, what are you doing? And same thing. And she goes, you know, Here's the thing. Um, you don't have any time. So if you don't show up to work tomorrow, you're going to forfeit your job. And I, I'm literally at a loss for words, uh, because I don't know what the hell she's talking. About. I'm trying to figure out logically. I'm in a hospital bed, hooked up stuff. And you're telling me that I need to come to the place, but I can't come to the place and I'm going to forfeit my job. I'm sick. She basically tells me that I don't have, uh, I don't have the time. I'm going to lose my job. I'm having a heart attack because I have two kids. My husband at the time is running the streets and he's been missing for months. And, um, and I can't, and I'm alone. Like she's giving me, I'm already making $10 and 22 cents an hour. Like I already cannot pay my bill. And the $10 and 22 cents an hour is a leg up because before that I was putting the kids to bed hungry. Now they're only going to bed hungry every other day. I can't, I can't, like, she's, this, this woman is like crippling my entire lifeline. I'm so angry. I explained to her again, there's no way that I can do anything. She explains to me again that there's no way that she can do anything and that if I do not show up tomorrow, I am losing my job. As I feel myself crumbling in this bed, I basically tell her, well, I'm going to send someone to come pick up my thing. And I, 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 I had no, I had no answer. I was also so done. At that point, I was, I, I don't know if it was, I was at my lowest, but I had been in this relationship for years where I was being abused in one way or the other. Every other day was filled with tears. We were going to bed hungry so many times. I had already moved, forced the kids to move four times because we were being evicted. Because he blew the money, he would buy more drugs. It would always be something. And we had to leave. I had to leave. The little places that we acquired, I was throwing away their furniture. Like, I was so done with it. I was done. I was angry. I also didn't come from the kind of a family that, where I had sisters and brothers and cousins and aunts who were like, yeah, come on over. We'll take care of it. We'll help you out. It's a family thing where we've got this. It was not like that. It was like every man for themselves. Um, And... And in my parents, they had their own battle at that time because my father was really, really sick and he was in the hospital. And I, I felt like I, I just wanted to die. That is the truth. The majority of that time. So in between that to where I am today, I spent years battling just whether or not I would be willing to actually continue with this life. And I felt the only reason why I stayed alive is because I couldn't figure out what would happen to Jada and Maya. Like I would, I, I love these kids. They were so damn cute. And I was like, if I die, if I'm gone, where are they going to go? My parents would take care of them. 
financially, nobody else in our family can take care. I would, you know, turn over in my grave if they went to foster care. And and their dad's not an option. His family is like, that's a different topic. And so that's the only thing that kind of kept me not going. It just kept me alive from day to day. There was a moment when I had maybe experienced like another light level of violence and I watched my children cry for 24 hours. And I thought about the a level of trauma um, that I had exposed them to with, and he didn't abuse them. It was more violence around us more than anything else. A lot of broken things and shattered glass and the the reality for me is that I had a moment where I realized I needed to own my own value because no one was coming to save me. And I think that that's the, that's the it. It's like, there's this hope that we hold on to as humans where we're like, okay, this shit is really bad. And someone, somehow, God, something is coming to interject, intervene. Someone, somehow, is coming to help provide aid, a resource, a sign, something. But I adopted this philosophy back then that I, that has been the backbone for me. And it is the core of what I teach in, in everything I do today. No one is coming to actually save you. So you have to save yourself. The very first place that you start to save yourself is in your story. Owning your story for what it is, not owning your story for what it will be, not owning your story for what it should be. Not owning your story for what it could be, owning your story for what it is. The faster you own your story for what it is, the faster you grow. The faster you own your story for what it is, the stronger you become. And once I began to own my story for what it is at that moment, that's literally how everything changed. That's how I go from being this single or uh, this mom putting her kids to bed hungry all the time, angry, pissed off with the world, hating God and hating myself because I could never figure it out, to building a handful of multiple six-figure businesses onto a multiple seven-figure business. And now today, here I am having sold my that business eight years ago in 2014. Here I am today in front of a couple of neat companies. But one of that I'm most proud of is a movement. It's called Do the Damn Thing. And, and it is, it is, it is, it is only something that I could have dreamed of a decade ago, but it is all a thousand percent because I made a decision to stop thinking small, stop managing other people's insecurities and, and make a decision to just own my value at that moment for what I was. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone, so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators, any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Obviously that raises several questions. Um, you know, one thing that I wonder about, and this is something I've, I've asked a lot of people, you know, we hear about stories like yours. Typically we experience the reality of your story through movies and, and media. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, as somebody who's lived it, what do we not see? What does media get wrong about this experience? Media gets wrong um, how many times we fail 
how many times it continues to go wrong. Um, media also misses how many times we cry in the midst of it keep going wrong. Like a lot of the narratives, the narratives in media, it's like, okay, there is this, like the, the beginning of the story says the context is it's bad. There's some type of situation. Then there's a pinnacle. And then after the pinnacle, the challenge, the problem, all of a sudden there's the win, right? And the win comes. And I don't want to say happily ever after, but the state is completely changed. It is not the case. Like that life card and that pain, that scenario and in that impossible moment has played out so many times. And that's the part that people don't see. They think it's like a one time challenge. Oh, she went to bed hungry and then she won. It's like last year I was sent to the hospital or sent to the hospital. I, I went to the hospital after 10 hours of being in pain oh, almost a week ago to today. I mean, a week ago, a year ago to this week. And I had emergency surgery. And for the last year, I have spent half of the year with a walker, half of the year in a hospital. And I have been fighting for my own life. Like, there's this idea that we win and then, or we overcome the challenge or the problem and then it's smooth sailing from then. It's not. That's what media gets wrong or what media hides from the reality of the journey. Yeah, I mean, and then I think there's the other side of this too in media. When you look at, you know, a movie like Boys in the Hood, for example, or pretty much any John Singleton movie, it's like there isn't a happy ending. And I think I feel like, you know, there's so much that we don't see in terms of the context when we see those kinds of movies. Yeah, I would agree for sure. And sometimes there isn't a happy ending, but it's like because there's not a happy ending, do you stop fighting for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that idea of, it's like that idea of the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, if it, it, as crazy as it sounds, some of the, sometimes there isn't a happy ending, but it doesn't mean that there's not happiness on the journey and it's not worth the fight. Yep. And sometimes, and sometimes that can be those, those intermittent wins can be the thing that allows us to have the worthwhile or the purpose in the, in the life or in the journey in the first place. Well, I think the thing that really strikes me, and this is something I notice often when I talk to people like you, is that there are people who come from far more privileged circumstances than you did and far easier situations than you you did, yet they struggle to take ownership of the story. Why do you think that is? I mean, we're talking about the relativity of suffering here. I I honestly, um, today my opinion is pretty biased because I spend so much time in rooms. You know, I, I coach hundreds of thousands of people around the world and we have a lot of people who come to their live, you know, like live events. And the truth is that I think it's because they haven't been, built the muscle. It's like winning is a muscle. And it's not because you become a winner. It's just that you become strong enough to con to be able to withstand the many storms that come on your way to the win. And there are some people who they're constantly looking to looking for shelter. You know, like the storm is coming. They're like, oh, out of here. And then they run and they look for shelter. And then there are other people 
who are like, no, I'm just going to stand in the storm. I'll hold on to this pole so I don't fly away. But as soon as it lets down, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. It's a decision. It's like a decision that's made. It's not really whether someone's strong enough or white enough or black enough or it's a decision that's made as to how are they, how are they going to journey knowing that storms are going to come? What decision do they make ahead of time knowing that there, there's a storm that's going to come and it's going to come over and over again and the, and go, and going through the storm is not avoidable. I remember one of my uh, first mentors used to say, the problems don't go away. They magnify what changes is your capacity to handle them. And I was driving back yeah. yesterday from the mountain snowboarding uh, and I hit like a giant rock on the road. I, I think it was like a giant piece of ice and it punctured my tire. Luckily, I was able to get down the mountain. And nice. I, you know, I, and I, I went to the tire place and I thought to myself, you know, if this was like three years ago, I called my dad freaking out. I literally went in. I was like, I need a new tire. Mm -hmm. How long is this going to take? I got to reschedule my doctor's appointment. And I went home and my parents were like, how was your day? I was like, that was fine. I didn't even mention the tire to them. And I was like, whoa, something has seriously changed here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> the thing is, I think that like the things that you think are these like huge issues early on. It, I remember it, it, there's this like, you know, uh, in the movie, The Social Network with Mark Zuckerberg is, uh, you know, fighting that lawsuit. Uh, they The lawyer basically tells him, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is a speeding ticket. And that that always stayed with me. Not that I'm, you know, an admirer of the way that Facebook has built their business, but um, that concept that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this little thing that seems like a huge ordeal in the moment ends up being a speeding ticket in retrospect. Yes, I so agree. And you're right. It's really actually about the capacity, hands down. I love I love that that visual of that. And I, I love that truth of you not even mentioning it for sure. I get it completely. It's not. It's all about capacity. Hands down. And, and you know, even thinking about that, like, so once you go through one storm and then you're holding on to the pole, like your thin, your skin gets thicker because you were standing in the storm. So you almost like you, you build new muscles just by standing there that allow you to have more strength as you enter the next storm. The person who consistently heads into shelter to, to cover themselves from the storm, they don't get any stronger. They actually get weaker in some, in some essence. And so they never build more capacity so that they can get further, faster and to their wins. What, yeah. With all the people that you see, Coach, uh, you know, because I, I feel like I, I see this pattern when it comes to any sort of uh, personal development effort where you have these sort of three groups of people, you know, the people who will get a result whether they do the thing or not because that's how they're wired, the people who would come to somebody like you and you end up being the catalyst for changing them. And then there's this third group that I call the people who are stuck in the vicious cycle of personal development, which I, I honestly think this group basically, you know, contributes billions of dollars to this industry. Um, what is the difference in your mind between those people? Because I, I remember I had this moment when I walked into the Boulder bookstore. I was like, why the hell do I feel like I've read every book in the self-improvement section now? Yeah. Um, what is the yeah. difference? I mean, with the people you coach, so yeah. You're like between the people who yeah. make something happen versus the ones who don't. Yeah. You know, it, what's interesting is that like in our, so all of the companies I run are not coaching based. And I personally actually don't coach anymore. Um, 
what I find, and it's because of this exact reason, there are two different people. And in, in a lot of the coaching business models are built on some form of an ascend model where they find the person who is, who says, Hey, I'd like some, I need some help. And then their goal is to continue to ascend them up through their world into bigger and better programs and products yeah. and price points. Um, I, in our companies, we actually don't do that. And, and the reason why I don't have a, an ascend model or I didn't start with one is because I don't believe that the person who is a habitual non-doer is going to magically all of a sudden become the $5 million uh, business owner. I don't. I do believe that they're going to have wins that are slightly different and they're going to be quantifiable in their own way. So in that essence, I think that the number one thing that trips people from soaring in personal development that you have to mix, you have to, to, to part the waters because there's personal development that is strictly just about personally developing. And then there's personal development where a lot of these coaches mass a business win over it in order to keep the person yeah. there. So I'll, I'll speak true to just personal development for the sake of personally developing. Um, so two thoughts. Uh, first, I don't think that the person wins because they don't own the truth. They won't get in front of the truth, whatever it is. And so they would rather spend a lot of money dancing around the truth, keep going to the events, keep reading the books, keep going to these retreats, heading to Peru, doing all of the things that have them dance around the truth, but not own the truth. Um, and the truth for me is their story. And their story, it's one thing if you're like, okay, I'll own the truth, but you can't own the truth and you're only owning it to yourself. If it's just in you and it doesn't become audible, like no one else hears it on the planet, then you're still managing other people's insecurities and you're still living at the mercy or the fear that the world of rege and rejection or whatever it is, is putting on you. So it's impossible for you to actually be free enough to get to the win. So all you do is you cycle. You get a couple of accolades and moments. You trip, you dance around the truth. And because you keep going to the environment, you're deluded into believing that you're actually winning or making progress. That is group number one. Uh, group number two in personal development. Um, I now, I'll tell you, it is those who are willing to be rejected publicly by the people who they care the most who win the fastest in personal development. Because that's really what personal development, I feel like, souls, period. It is that per that individual human who has been trapped by the experiences and people in their life and cannot break free. And so now they're, we're personally developing so that we can develop past that. But you can only develop so much. You have to develop into something. And they won't. The people that do, they allow themselves not being vulnerable. Don't take this as a statement of being vulnerable as much as it is about you being able to be rejected by the people that you care the most, where you stop managing other people's insecurity and you allow yourself to be whole. Wow. Um, I appreciate this perspective so much because I, the, the send model honestly makes me cringe because I, I remember Dan Kennedy talking about this in a seminar once he was talking about Warner Earhart, the creator of Landmark Forum. Uh, and he was like, okay, sum this whole thing up for me in one sentence. And he said, we sell independence, but we breed dependence. 
And uh, that yeah. just was a moment that made me realize, yeah. that, okay, you know what? That in my mind is actually not a good model because in my mind, I always tell people, if I'm going to work with you, I want to make sure at some point you need to fire me. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. Like Correct. I want to get to the point where you no longer need me. Correct. Correct. It is like Eastern medicine versus Western medicine. And, you know, when I got into this industry, you know, I really had no idea that I would ever coach. I never wanted to be on stage. I was never interested in that stuff. I sold my company and I just felt like through some experiences of seeing an event, reading a book, I was like, is this what you're teaching people? And having built a seven-figure business myself, it was brick and mortar. My business partners were Xerox Corporation and Hewlett Packer. Like I was in the tech space of hardware and software, head down, and I really had never touched the internet. But the second that I got whiff of the fact that there were these people who were coaches coaching other people how to become better, I just felt like, what are we talking about? And then when I saw the price tags that they were putting on them, again, I'm not knocking the price tags, not at all. But I felt so sick every single time I was like, she's going to teach you how to build a business, but she has never built a business. What are we talking about here? Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, like it was, I'll tell you, I really became, I, I kind of landed into do, to what we are today because in the first year or two, all I was was sniffing the water. I was teaching and being asked to speak on stage, but I was sniffing the water. I wasn't thinking, I'm going to build a program. And I'm going to this, this, that. I was put into a lot of experiences where I would see these supposed gurus and great people backstage. And I'd be like, what? That guy is nothing like what he is on stage. He's an ass. He's a jerk. This guy's a jerk. He's, he's a horrible person. But and experience after experience after experience got me kind of quiet. But there was this one moment where I was invited to speak at an event. And this is where I real I knew like, OK, I have to do something. Like uh, you see a problem, you talk about a problem. And I believe if you talk about a problem, you see a problem and it burns you. Like you're feeling like angry and vexed about it. Like you have a responsibility to respond to it in some way, whatever that is. Because oftentimes that great human has been given the solution. Now I'm at this event and um, they're, they're, they have a program, an offer. And there's this woman, I swear she's like 83, 85, you know? And she's like, do I take my life savings? And the person, the the, the idea in the room is convincing this woman to take her life savings and to spend it on this $25,000 program. And the idea was that if she spends it on this program, they were telling her specifically she'll settle on this program and then think of the legacy you'll leave for your grandkids. And I was like, I cannot be part of this criminal activity like this. I cannot. I will not. And I remember walking up to the woman because this was this was a moment of like do or die, because once I when I when I made this decision, because that's wrong, you know, she's that's wrong on so many levels. Um, I knew at this moment that I was going to be blackballed by my industry because there's right and then there's wrong, and I and I realize there's gray areas, but as like there there's no scenario where telling an 87 year old woman to think about the legacy she's going to leave behind for her grandkids and to spend her last money on a coaching program it's going to be okay it's never going to happen so not for me so i walked up to her and i told her ma'am hi you don't know me but you don't need the program whatever questions you have like whatever you're trying to build i will help you like i like i will answer the 12 questions for you 
at no cost. Of course, no cost. It was my first time doing something like that. And it was also, I knew it would put me in a category, but I didn't care at that moment because all I could think about all of the amazing people around the planet who actually have the answers have potential and they're being taken advantage of or had by these people who have gotten really great at marketing and um, knowing how to create a scare enough tactic or scare enough feel for that person to make decisions that are not the right decisions for them. I felt like I had to do something about it, but I couldn't just talk about it. So I just decided at that moment that I was going to work on creating an alternative. And that's how Do the Damn Thing became born. And I realized that I was talking of a non-for-profit place with a for-profit mind. And um, I had to turn this idea that I had of like, you could care, you can just, you can actually care about people and want them to to grow. I don't want to renew their contracts three times. I don't want them to stay here as a way for me to, to pay the bills. No, that's not business. That's like something else. I want them to grow, they get what they need and grow. So we decided on creating this slightly different model where we don't have an ascend, but that person gets to stay in the ecosystem without spending more money. And they have like a home, like almost like how you have a home church Mm -hmm. or like you're an alumni of like that college or that fraternity. We have that same approach here. So um, it's been so, so delicious. It's so delicious. But that's how I got from that to, to this. More pissed off and more anger. <laughs> I love this. I, yeah, I mean, I, I really just appreciate your perspective. It's really just refreshing and uh, insightful. Um, well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish yeah. all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, somebody, what do I think it is that makes someone unmistakable? Um, their story. Your story is the only asset that you actually have on this planet. Like your story is literally the only thing that makes you unique. In a world where we're like, oh, I'm going to go and buy that dress. I'm going to get that car. I'm going to buy this leather jacket. I'm dying my hair purple. I'm going to get these shoes. I'm going to live in this house. I'm going to have this catchy phrase. I'm going to, my website's going to flash three times before they click. All those things are great. But the truth of the matter is that the only thing that a, a human actually has is their story. And so to be unmistakable, you have to use your story in everything because it's the only thing that the world has never heard of before. And it is the silent magic of energy that transfers from one human to the other and creates a bridge effortlessly, seamlessly, and invisibly that says, you can trust me right now at this very moment, the first time you've met me. It's like, you want to... Imagine instead of meeting people and having to build up that relationship where you're like, oh, well, we'll meet three, four times. We'll have coffee. We'll get on Zoom. We'll, we'll run into each other again in November. And then we'll, we'll gradually build a, a relationship. We'll gradually build this connection. Imagine if you could just connect the very first time right out of the gate and know that's my person for sure, period. And be able to build immediately, grow immediately and not waste any more time. Because then instead of you connecting with that person intellectually, you're connecting with them emotionally. And they'll never, they can't, 
They can't forget you. They won't forget you because you're on the inside of them. And then you're absolutely unmistakable. Beautiful. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your stories, your wisdom, and your insight with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. And let me just tell you, this has been uh, awesome, and I'm grateful to you. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of you and your world and your community. Um, it's pretty easy to stop me personally at Tiffany Larkey, just about every and anywhere. Uh, TiffanyLarkey.com is where you'll, you'll find out just about me and the companies we run. But DTDT Nation, or Do the Damn Thing, is where you'll find us somewhere, somewhere talking about something. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to, um, go to one and find the other. So wherever you decide to start, just start tiffanylarkey.com or DTDT Nation. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.